Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Buffy and the Art of Stories, Season 6. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we're talking about Season 6, Episode 2, Bargaining Part 2, where demon bikers take over Sunnydale and Buffy claws her way out of the grave and thinks she's in hell. I am Lisa M. Lilly, mystery and thriller author, story expert, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Along with a breakdown of bargaining part two, I'll talk about the aspects of both bargaining part one and two that the writers themselves loved and hated, scene-to-scene transitions that make it so easy to follow the story despite many quick cuts and shifts, a climax without a protagonist, and the way Bargaining Parts 1 and 2 change the tone of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series, and foreshadow the entire season. And speaking of foreshadowing, there will be no spoilers until I get to the foreshadowing section at the end, and I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the hellmouth. Bargaining Part 2. Two aired the first time on October 2, 2001. It was written by David Fury and directed by David Grossman. It aired along with part one as a double episode to start season six. And I am including in today's podcast episode some commentary from the DVD from the writer of part one, Marty Noxon, and the writer of part two, David Fury. First highlight from that, one and two were originally conceived as two separate stories, not as a combined double episode. But the show moved to UPN for season six, a new network, and they wanted a big two-hour event to start out. David Fury, who wrote part two, said he thought he had to make the most changes due to that because the ending for a two-part episode had to be much bigger. And I'll talk about what he did when we get to that point. I wish that one or the other of the writers would have said where part one originally ended. Because as I noted last week, the double episode is 86 minutes roughly and part one is 47 minutes. So it runs long while part two is 39 minutes. So runs short. And I assume that when they were going to be two separate episodes, each would have been the usual 42, 43 minutes minutes. Both Marty Noxon and David Fury said that UPN hoped to not just bring back previous Buffy viewers, but bring in new ones. And they said that was really hard to do at this point in the show. And I wonder if that's why part one ended up longer. Perhaps they were front-loading more into part one to make sure new viewers could get up to speed and understood what was happening. That may also have caused some of the pacing issues I noted in part one. Part two picks up right where part one ended with that midpoint major reversal for the double episode where Willow believes that the spell failed, the whole group thinks it failed, and Buffy comes back to life but she's in her coffin buried underground. So at 46 minutes 53 seconds into the double episode, we have a bit of an opening conflict to start off part two as our demon bikers ride their motorcycles in a circle around the Buffy bot. And she is saying she's dangerously close to systems failure as she tries to dodge them. We can see her gears and machinery showing in spots and Razor, the leader of the demon, swings a chain, it catches on the bot and he drags her across the ground. The scene cuts to our four friends in the woods. Willow is in and out of consciousness. 
And the motorcycles roar uh, not too far away. Our friends worry about the demons catching them and decide to split up and meet later at the magic box. As I think I mentioned last time, this is one of those rare occasions when I believe that they split up because they don't want to be all together as a target. Xander is stronger, so he says he'll carry Willow. Anya and Tara go a different direction. Before they leave, Anya asks about the Buffy bot, but Xander says they can't. It's lost. And this is one of those cuts that now takes us right back after they talk about the bot and say it's lost. We see the demons in a circle kicking the Buffy bot. That is happening just beyond Buffy's gravestone. And then we cut to Buffy in the coffin, pounding on the lid from inside, gasping and tearing at the fabric. We get a quick shot from her point of view and her vision is blurry. Xander stops in the woods as Willow wakes up. She's unclear about what happened, but as soon as she remembers the ritual to bring Buffy back was interrupted, she says they have to go back and finish, and she's devastated when Xander says they can't. Willow says she's waiting. She's counting on us. I can't leave her there anymore. Xander starts to say the urn, and Willow remembers it's broken. He says they'll find another, and Willow tells him there is no other one. Xander tries to say they'll crazy glue it together. On the DVD, David Fury and Marty Knoxon called it the urn of phlebotanum, and phlebotanum is what the writers called whatever the magical object or symbol was that would help them get from one plot point to another or explain things. They also called it the magical MacGuffin. Here, they used the Erna Phlebotanum to create a reason that the spell can only work this one time, why there's no other way to go back and do it again. And this raises the stakes exponentially. I found that so interesting in terms of a technique to think about for your stories if you're writing something to look at is there something you can add that will make a moment do or die that will keep your characters from being able to go back and try again and pulling it apart it's such an artificial thing here the urn of Osiris and yet it works wonderfully for this purpose. And Willow now says, you can't put it back together. The urn's defiled. And she says, it's gone. Nothing. It was all for nothing. And she starts to cry. And we know this is the first time that it is real to her that Buffy is dead or that she accepts that Buffy is dead. And she says, Buffy's gone. She's really gone. And we get another of those wonderful cuts because we go right to Buffy pounding on the inside of the coffin lid. She finally breaks through. Of course, dirt falls all over her. This kind of transition, it's both just very nice from a writing standpoint to have that reference to Buffy being gone, then we see her in the coffin. It also helps new viewers, if there are some, making it very, very clear that this is Buffy. Buffy's in the grave. The friends were trying to bring her back. Now they can't. So that's why you see this young woman buried alive in this coffin and earlier we had the Buffy bot reference and we saw the bot. Anya and Tara hide as two of the biker demons hunt through the woods. They're angry that they were left to hunt down strays while the others are having fun. They argue about it in front of a rock where Anya and Tara are hiding just behind the rock and then they leave in disgust to go hit some stores. That worries Anya. She just got the magic box and she can't lose it now. Tara's relieved though it doesn't sound like they found Xander and Willow. I commented last week about these demons uh, looking very disturbing but not seeming that menacing because they seem to just do a lot of riding around and smashing things with no particular goals and on the DVD throughout the two episodes David Fury and Marty Noxon both said that these villains are not very scary they called it quote lame mayhem unquote referring to bikers driving around and ooh, they're driving
driving through a cafe, they're smashing a mailbox, they're smashing a car window. They also commented the demons are not super perceptive. They don't notice Tara and Anya behind the rock. And mentioned that they thought about dropping this scene entirely, but there is some key information there, which they must mean, they didn't say, but they must mean the part about looting the stores. I'm not sure that we needed the demons to tell us that, but you do get uh, Anya's fears, which I find very powerful because Anya is going on and will continue to later about the store and fear about the store being damaged. But underneath it, I see this is an instance where a character is talking about one thing because it is just too scary to talk about the bigger fear that Xander is going to get killed. Now Anya says, you don't think they'll cause a lot of damage, do you? And we get a cut to the demons causing the type of damage Anya's expressing a fear of now, which is smashing and burning around uh, the neighborhood of the Summer's home. This is where they smash the mailbox. Inside the house, Spike complains about how few weapons there are, and he yells at Dawn for looking out the window. He tells her the demons are road pirates, that they go into towns, raid them, tear them up, wear them down, and then take off and go any place they think is vulnerable. And Dawn realizes they know that Buffy is gone. Spike tells her they need to leave, but Dawn says, shouldn't they wait for the others, and goes on, and Buffy bought you know, the Buffy bot. So a couple things on this scene that Marty Noxon commented. One is that Dawn is wearing a red sweater with sparkles on it. And she said that upset her when she saw the footage because Dawn would not be wearing a sparkly red sweater given how she's feeling and with her sister dead. And I agree with that, though I did not pick up on it. Marty Noxon also said she got a lot of letters from people convinced that Spike had become fully good because he's still protecting Dawn while Buffy is gone, something that I mentioned last time as well, and that they keep asking why she doesn't think Buffy and Spike are a good couple. So she joked, it is all David's fault because he wrote this scene. Marty and David don't explain why is he protecting Dawn here if he is still evil, which which they apparently see him as. So they don't answer that question. Dawn is panicking. Spike says he knows she's scared. He won't let anything happen to her. And the look she gives him, it's trusting, but behind it, I see, uh, and maybe between both of them, this memory of how Spike was not able to save Dawn before. So kudos to both actors because I see that on their faces. And Spike says, no one's coming to our rescue. Another perfect transition at 54 minutes two seconds in gasping Buffy who's the one who always comes to the rescue claws her way out of the grave she looks frightened and distraught and the scene cuts to a commercial on the return Buffy gets to her feet and sees her own tombstone something that Marty and David said just specifically wanted that image of Buffy seeing her own grave they also said they are both disappointed in how Buffy looked how good she looked when they saw the footage because they pictured her more uh, going through the town with matted hair and dirt all over her and compared it to Carrie from the Stephen King book and movie Carrie staggering through the town pathetic but powerful and that you don't quite get that from the footage. Buffy looks more uh, fabulous, fabulous hair. She's in a Donna Karen dress that just has one tear in it and a smudge of dirt on her face. Buffy walks through the deserted street. Cars are on fire all around her. Debris is everywhere and we see it some of the time through her blurred and fuzzy vision and that makes it all the more frightening and a demon biker rides past smashes a car window and David Fury commented this is an outer expression of Buffy's inner turmoil 
Tara calls out for Xander and Willow as she and Anya go into the magic box. Anya says, thank God, and Tara thinks that means the other two are there, and then she clarifies to Tara, and his door hasn't been looted. And Tara says, yet. And there is smashing and more roaring of motorcycles from outside. But now we see that Anya, for all her talk of the store, we see what she is really worried about because she looks out from the darkened store through the window and whispers Xander's name and says, what if they are really hurt or dead? And Tara says, they're not. If something had happened to Willow, Tara would know it. She'd feel it. And she says, so would Anya about Xander. Tara hugs Anya, strokes her hair, tells her they are fine. Maybe they got lost in the woods. And Anya says, I hate the woods, all those woodsy trees, which for whatever reason, I I think that might be my favorite line in the episode. Perhaps because as a city person, there are are plenty of threats in the city, but I so prefer walking here where I understand those threats and know what they are than being out in the woodsy trees. Um, I'll visit, but I don't want to hang out there too long in the woodsy trees with bats and mosquitoes and other things like that. Tara says she and Willow always know how to find each other, and she gets on a table and into a cross leg position and Anya says with yoga but Tara's doing the spell that Willow did back in fear itself calling on I think it's the goddess Aradia to help find her way out in fear itself Willow meant to conjure one tiny light to lead her out and ended up with a whole bunch of them that kind of swirled around and attacked her but now Tara does one light and it is going to go out and find Willow and Xander in those woodsy woods. At 57 minutes 15 seconds Xander is frustrated. She says the woods are not that big and he's been going straight. He knows it because he's following the North Star and Willow points out that that is an airplane and Xander says no it's not it's definitely not an airplane and then he says oh it's a blimp but he can see how one could make that mistake Willow is exhausted she needs to rest and when Xander says it can't be much further she points out he said that an hour ago and the spell took a lot out of her Xander says as for example snakes how come you didn't tell us Willow cuts him off she can't do this now he accuses her of being a voidy and he thinks she's being more avoidy when she looks over his shoulder and says what's that but she is pointing to that little light moving toward them Xander is uh, kind of afraid of the light. He steps between it and Willow and tries to shoo it away, calling it a big fiery bug thing. But she tells him it's Tara and starts to follow it. And he calls after her. And how long have you known that your girlfriend's Tinkerbell? Buffy cautiously approaches a house in the midst of all the chaos. She leans on a car for a moment and the car alarm starts blaring. We see this old man come out of the house through Buffy's fuzzy vision. He's got a gun. He yells at her to get off the property, leave him alone, and he fires the gun, I think, into the ground. But the sound is very jarring and and really frightens Buffy. The scene cuts to demons trashing someone else's house. This is near the Summer's home. Spike and Dawn watch from behind the bushes. And Dawn says it looks like they're just wrecking stuff with no thought other than just destructorama. And a chair comes through a picture window at that point, And Spike smiles. And Dawn says, what? And Spike responds, uh, oh, nothing. Just, uh, look like fun. Just saying. David Fury said Spike was not supposed to smile at that moment. He had wanted, until Spike says it looked like fun, for the audience not to know that Spike was a bit drawn to this. But when they saw the footage, they decided not to reshoot it because of the cost of reshooting. I found that interesting because I tend to forget because I am a novelist, I don't write screenplays that everything on the screen is a combination of the writing the directing the actors I I know that I know I comment on it but I didn't think about 
the fact that sometimes that nuance or that character moment that I'm seeing and that becomes part of the story might be different than what the writer intended and that there are practical realities about do you change it or not because there's costs involved and sometimes decisions have to be made like that. Spike switches back to worried mode looking at the chaos and says with this going on all over, they're not going to be able to get far on foot, but then he gets an idea. If you haven't heard enough about story structure listening to the podcast, I have available promotional codes from Spotify so you can download my book about plotting for free. The book is Super Simple Story Structure, a quick guide to plotting and writing your novel. If you would like a Spotify code so you can download it and listen to it, it's the audiobook edition free, just email me at buffystorypod at gmail.com. And if there are codes left, I will send you one. I have quite a few, so your odds are good if you email me that I'll be able to do that. Also, feel free to send me your thoughts about this episode or any podcast episode or Buffy in general to that email address. I love to hear from you. It makes it more of a conversation. If you don't want me to read your comments in an episode, just let me know that too. So you can send me something that you want me not to share with uh, everyone who listens to the podcast. That email address is buffystorypod at gmail.com. And if you would like one of those Spotify codes, please let me know. Spike stands in the path of one of the motorcycles and knocks the demon off of it. The cycle crashes. Spike grabs it, rides toward Dawn, who puts on what looks to me like a football helmet that was lying on the ground, I guess. She gets on the back and they ride off. The scene cuts to the magic box. There's a banging on the door and Anya, I love this, calls out and says they've already been looted. Try the appliance store down the block. They have great toasters. I'm not sure if it was intentional, but I love this callback to her saying that the Buffy bot is the descendant of a toaster oven. It's Willow and Xander, not looters, who obviously wouldn't knock. Willow is exhausted and she sits in the chair and she breathes heavily throughout she asks where Dawn and Spike are. Everyone is worried because Anya says she tried calling. They're not answering the phone. Xander says maybe they're on their way here. I mean, this place is NORAD when we're at DEFCON 1. And they all look at him and he says, okay, I so need male friends. Willow says we have to go out and look for them. And Xander responds, well, there's this guy at work. I kind of hit it off with Tito. I mean, he seems like a good. And they stare at him again. And Xander says, you were talking about Dawn and Spike, of course. Anya is somewhat hesitant, which is uncharacteristic for her. But I buy it in this circumstance. As she questions Willow, when Willow says they need to get back out there. Anya says, well, they're minus a Buffy bot. Spike is missing in action with Dawn. Giles flew away and Willow looks a little, quote, magicked out, unquote. Xander asks if she's nearing her point and Anya finally says they can take a vampire or two, but there's a whole cavalcade of demons out there and she thinks it takes, they need, and Xander says, Buffy. And Willow says, Buffy. And she's still trying to catch her breath. She's still breathing hard and continues, is not coming back. We failed. And on the DVD, uh, the writers commented, so begins the angst of season six. Anya looks devastated. Willow, still trying to catch her breath, says, so we're it, gang. She gets out of the chair with a bit of a struggle, tells Xander to grab the weapons. They need to go look for Dawn and Spike. We hear a window smashing nearby. Tara says they've got to go now. It's only getting worse out there. And now we get an ironic cut from scene to scene or transition because Xander says, well, they can't keep it up forever and goes on that maybe they'll party themselves out and move on. And at 63 minutes, 44 seconds, the leader, Razor, of 
of the demons says, say hello to your new home, boys. The other demons are drinking alcohol and catching their uh, breath on fire. So it's like they're breathing fire and they shout in agreement as the leader says they'll stay in this town, make it home, and they should have a christening. Buffy, who is still struggling a bit, moving slow and squinting, approaches the demon circle from behind. They don't notice her. Razor, the leader, takes out a gun and says they need to rid themselves of any reminders of the old order in one fell swoop. And I said I would would comment on tone in this episode and Certainly from Bargaining 1 and 2, it's been a darker tone overall than we saw through most of Season 5. There certainly were some very intense episodes in those other seasons, but usually the episodes are broken up a little more with humor, or there might be one very intense episode and then one that has a bit more humor to it. This has been almost unrelentingly dark which makes sense they're trying to bring Buffy back from the dead but we don't get what we might have expected based on the previous seasons that when Buffy crawls out of that grave it would be Buffy coming to rescue everyone and instead we see Buffy frightened and confused and uncertain which is not like the Buffy we new for most of the series it makes sense but it is part of the shift and here we have another which this is the second time we've seen a gun in this episode there was the man at the house fires the gun and now the demon takes out a gun even more unusual we rarely see guns at all in Buffy and David Fury commented on that and that it's no accident here I'll talk about that more in spoilers but when we have seen them I don't think we've ever seen a demon or vampire with a gun we saw Jonathan with one I take it back we did see the um, bounty hunter demon who looked like a human who pretended to be a cop and she had a gun when she was coming after Buffy but we don't usually see guns at all and now there have been two so it's another signal that some things are very different razor says start your engines and now buffy sees as the engines roar to life the buffy bot is in the center of the circle chains on her from all directions and the bot spots buffy and their eyes meet and the leader says bye bye slayer motorcycles ride off all in opposite directions and buffy shouts no as the bot is torn apart and the torso drops on the pavement the torso and still with a Buffy bot's head attached on the pavement. So it, it still looks like Buffy. At 65 minutes, 33 seconds, Razor sees Buffy and says, another one for the fire boys, tear it up. And as he says, tear it up, the camera closes up on Buffy. So the demon here thinks she is another robot. Now, this could be the last major plot turn of the double episode. That's what I think of as a three-quarter turn. It should grow out of the midpoint, which here was that spell, seeming to fail, and in some ways actually failing in that Buffy woke up in the grave buried underground. The last turn also should take the story in another new direction, and sometimes it raises the stakes again. This is a new direction, and it raises the stakes because now the demons know that Buffy is back, or they'll realize that in a second. If we go back to Willow as protagonist, which is what I figured out last episode, Though Willow doesn't know about this, this does turn her story as well. Her spell succeeded, but now the demons can send Buffy right back to the grave. It's obviously a major turn for Buffy as well and a major setback because until now she has been confused and frightened, but not directly in danger, even that that old guy fired at the ground. He didn't fire at Buffy. 
Quick note from the DVD commentary, Marty Noxon said that pulling apart of the Buffy bot, destroying her that way, provided lots of fodder for academia, which at the time did a lot of papers and symposiums on Buffy. And she said they talked about both the misogyny of season six and the existential angst that it was about contemplating death and destruction. The scene cuts to a commercial, and on return, Buffy runs. The motorcycles ride at her from opposite directions, one of them swinging a chain. Buffy dodges, and the two motorcyclists knock each other off their bikes. The demons roll on the ground, and I find this a moment of fun humor because as they're rolling on the ground and knocking into each other, they say, sorry, sorry. At 66 minutes, in the alley, our four friends walk. Xander has an axe over his shoulder. Willow carries a crossbow. She's walking next to Tara, who tells her maybe the spell wouldn't have worked even if the demons hadn't broken the urn. Willow, though, is very confident and says it would have worked. And Tara then says maybe it wasn't supposed to, with the demons, quote, showing up at the exact wrong time, close quote. And maybe fate sent destruction down to stop them. They aren't supposed to mess with these kinds of forces. And Willow says, you mean maybe it's my fault. We quickly cut to the demons chasing Buffy. She goes over a fence and we're back to Anya, who is trying to convince Sander it's a good time to tell Tara and Willow about the engagement. It's happy news, and Willow in particular could use a morale booster. Xander says, let's talk about it later. Anya points out there's nothing standing in the way anymore. This is it, quote, no more surprises, end quote. Another nice line because Buffy then lands right in their path. Obviously a huge surprise. This line and transition also demonstrates how good Buffy the Vampire Slayer is at having characters in one place emotionally and then having something in an instant change that turn that sometimes it's they are finally happy and then something happens and completely undermines that makes it the worst thing in the world the next worst possible thing that could happen here it's a little more subtle in that Anya is setting aside her frustration that Xander won't tell anyone she is saying the okay the worst has happened we couldn't bring Buffy back at least now we're at some sort of status quo we can go from here things clearly aren't calm or stable there's all this chaos but that feeling you sometimes have something goes wrong but you're like okay at least I tried this I'm done with it I can move on from here and that's essentially where Anya is and then Buffy returns and jumps right into their path and completely upends that so in that sense this episode is like all of Buffy we do continue to have that moment Xander and Tara both think this is the Buffy bot Xander worries it's going to to lead the wild bunch right to them but Buffy's eyes dart around there's blood on her lip and Willow stares at her and she knows it's Buffy so this more so or perhaps in conjunction with the demons recognizing that Buffy's around could be the three-quarter turn for Willow because this more directly brings this to Willow and Willow now needs not only to protect Buffy who looks vulnerable here but to grapple with the fear that she brought Buffy back wrong and to keep pushing back against the others who are going to keep saying that in one way or another for now Willow says Buffy's name and Buffy runs off they follow her calling to her and find Buffy crouched against a wall hiding her face and Anya says what's wrong with her and Willow says nothing she she's in shock Tara says her hands are bleeding and Xander realizes they resurrected her. The spell worked, but she came back right where they left her in her coffin. Willow is devastated. Tara holds her and we get Buffy's point of view, everything kind of blurry as Xander tries to tell her they're sorry. And and we hear as Buffy hears as well here, very tinny and echoey. And Tara says Buffy is too traumatized. 
Now, Anya tries, and we get a little bit of humor because she says, Hey, Buffy, uh, here's some good news that might perk you right up. Xander and I have an announcement. Xander pulls her back. He tells Buffy it'll be all right. And then her eyes widen as Xander tells her she's home. So a hint of what might be going on in Buffy's mind, because we don't really know yet. It's 69 minutes, 52 seconds. From behind Xander, Razor appears. He picks up on this line that she's home and says, yeah, welcome home, Slayer, and comments that she's alive and kicking after all and continues, quote, well, alive anyway. Not looking too good, though, is she? This seems to be where he realizes this really is the Slayer, not just another copy, and he attacks. Tara blocks him with a burst of fire. He says, so they've got a witch in the mix. Tara tells him more than one, and Xander says, I happen to be a very powerful man-witch myself. Razor gives him a look, and he says, or, and glances at Willow, is it a warlock? Willow nods. So on the DVD, David said Manwich was Joss's line. Both David and Marty commented that uh, Joss was not around for the first few episodes uh, of season six that he was off somewhere I forgot where they said he went but to he went away to go write the musical specifically the music for the musical and turn himself into Stephen Sondheim they said and Marty said that David Fury tried to put in as much funny as he could to the episode but there is just not much laughing in these which is my comment another way that the tone is shifted the other thing they noted here is that while this was aired as a two-part double episode that they saw it almost as a four-part with the last two episodes of season five and they said this was such a challenge for UPN because the idea of bringing in new viewers who hadn't seen the last two episodes of season five was almost impossible to do and then I think it was Marty said she also almost loops in the third episode of season six to the story here and I agree because in my mind when I look back I often think that things that don't happen till the next episode very minor spoiler Spike's gonna find out Buffy is alive he doesn't encounter Buffy until the next episode but in my head it's always all of a part of these first two notably Marty and David commented that it was also tough for UPN to bring in new viewers with this double episode because it doesn't really fit with the things that defined the series and and they said quote we screwed up end quote I wish they would have elaborated because I don't know if they mean the tone of the double episode if if they could go back if they would try to make it a little more typically Buffy like because as I'll talk about in the spoilers there were deliberate choices about that would have loved to hear more but that is all they said Anya tells Razor that uh, not only witches but he might have a slayer there too who's looking to eat some brains and she suggests Razor might be better off moseying on and she's sure his demon horde won't think less of him but Razor says his boys are looking for a massacre and he doesn't think there's enough magic between these humans for a kitty birthday party and Willow says then you'd be wrong. Razor scoffs what's she going to do pull a rabbit out of a hat and Willow tries to tell him something like we don't want trouble you don't want trouble and Razor says of course we want trouble we're demons we're really all about trouble Willow says not this kind Willow is very tough throughout this and convincing and you can't really tell how exhausted she is in that moment she does not, though, intimidate Razor, who slugs her. Xander then hits him with the axe, but he easily knocks Xander down. As Anya and Tara rush to Xander and Willow, Razor tells him the demons aren't going to fight. They're just going to hold them down and enjoy themselves for a few hours. They might even live through it. Buffy stands from behind the rubble and circles slowly around the group as Razor goes on that his boys have anatomical incompatibilities that quote tend to tear up little girls end quote. This rape threat 
is another shift in tone for the series. There has never been a rape threat before in Buffy. You can certainly uh, read some of the vampire attacks and some of the demon attacks as metaphorical to rape. And I guess I'll I'll walk it back. I'll say not an explicit one. Uh, we did have Xander as a hyena when he was possessed by the hyena attack Buffy. Buffy said something like his idea of wooing as a hyena isn't a bottle of Chianti or something. But it wasn't stated this way. And there is a big difference because it was never treated as if it was a great danger as an audience member, I did not fear for Buffy. Also, this threat was directed at Willow and Anya and Xander. We're much more worried about them and Buffy is in this weakened state. We don't know yet if she can fight. So this is a big tone shift here. A little more on that in spoilers. I have, in my conversations with people about Buffy, have heard mixed views. Personally, I really disliked that. Part of it is because I tend to, as I've said in the past, I like Buffy best when it deals in metaphor, not so much in uh, the reality of real life day-to-day problems. I like when it deals with those problems metaphorically. Also, I love to read mysteries and thrillers, but I stopped reading a certain very prevalent brand of them where a lot of time is spent on the victim, which is almost always a woman, and is almost always physical violence against the woman, threats of sexual violence against the woman, if not actual rape. And I just do not want to read that. I I feel like to some extent it is there to frighten women. I don't mean that every author who does that means that. I mean that that is in the water, in the air in the world we live in there is a lot out there to frighten women about strangers about danger from strangers which does exist but which tends to overshadow the much greater prevalence of the danger to women including of sexual violence being from people they know people who supposedly love them from intimate partners and it gives a skewed view of the world. Now I was talking to my niece who's a huge Buffy fan and she saw this very differently. I hope I'm remembering right because we had this conversation probably 10 years ago but she liked that Buffy as a series was grappling directly with this very real threat to women and fear that they have. Now the threat does get directed to Buffy because she stands in front of Razor right as he says so. Who wants to go first? A short personal update. I am excited. I finished the major plot rewrite of my sixth QC Davis mystery, The Forgotten Man. I am this week going to be filling in some blanks and then I hope to send it to my story editor. While I give it a break, my plan is to work on editing Buffy and the Art of Story season three, part one, the book. So I will let you know when that is done and available. I'm excited to go back to that as well. Buffy meets his eyes and he says, I was really hoping it'd be you. He punches her in the face, just her head swings sideways, her body stays stationary and she looks at him again and glares. And it is, I am pretty sure, the most angry we have ever seen Buffy. She blocks his next swing, punches once, kicks once, and he's on the ground on his back. Buffy stands over Razor. There's silence and Anya breaks it and says, does this mean we win? Well, it doesn't. The other demons attack. Buffy fights like her old self. And this is one of the toughest battles because there are so many of them. They come after her one after another. They are swinging bats and beating her with metal pipes. And they're in a circle around her and she's almost on the ground. It looks like she'll be defeated, but then she throws them all off at once and keeps fighting. And this 
still is different in tone because there have been other moments when Buffy has looked almost defeated and then there's kind of this triumphant moment where she throws all the foes away and usually the music gives us that triumph feeling and instead here it feels so brutal the way they're attacking her with these pipes again usually demons not using these types of weapons and when she throws them off the fighting just keeps going and it's just thudding and punching and kicking and you don't have that musical score kind of telling us Buffy's back it's triumphant it is just this one long horrendous battle we cut to Spike and Dawn on the motorcycle. David Fury said he loved this image of Spike riding with Dawn on the back in that helmet. To me, it it looked too goofy. The little football helmet looked goofy. And it didn't feel funny to me the way I love how Buffy mixes drama and humor. But maybe just me. I'd be curious to hear how, how other people thought of it. It felt to me almost like the Muppets riding bicycle thing. And there are episodes where that works Um, I think in Pangs that type of imagery worked but here I found it just pulled me completely out of the story Dawn spots the debris near the Buffy bot they pull over and she realizes it is the bot and stares at that torso in Buffy's face Spike says it's just a machine Dawn and Dawn so sad says I know This made me think of that moment in part one where Dawn crawled into bed with the Buffy bot with all her gears and machinery showing. And on the DVD, Marty Noxon said she wrote that episode, but Joss Whedon wrote that scene. And she gets a ton of compliments on it. And she said 99% of the time when people compliment her on a powerful moving scene or any scene in an episode she wrote, 99% of the time, it's one that Joss Whedon wrote within the episode. Dawn crouches by the Buffy bot. Its head is kind of turned to the side and she moves to close its eyes the way you would for a human. And the head startles her, comes to life and looks at her. And the bot says, Dawn, you're my sister. The bot looks around, where did I go? And Dawn says, what? And the bot says, where did I go? I was here, here, but then I ran away. And Dawn says, I I don't. And the bot goes on, no, not me, the other Buffy. Yes, the other Buffy. Dawn's eyes widen and she says, Buffy? David Fury said he thought there was a logic problem here with having Dawn just intuitively understand that Buffy's back, even though she didn't know about the spell. That did not bother me at all. I feel like that might be something where the writer, at least to me, the writer has done an amazing job here and he's doubting himself because I completely thought that Dawn would go there because one, she wants her sister back so desperately. Two, she lives in a world where she was a magical key and all these other things happen. And three, she is so attuned to the Buffy bot. She crawled in and slept next to the Buffy bot and I believe she would know what the Buffy bot is saying that the other me the other Buffy that she saw the other Buffy and there is just that hope Dawn desperately wants that to be true wants her sister to be back so now the bot says I don't I don't know where she ran off to maybe and she freezes that is so much like the robot April when Buffy sat with her and April froze mid-sentence At 75 minutes, 15 seconds, Dawn runs off while Spike is busy gathering some larger bot pieces and saying Willow won't be able to fix it this time. The robot's done. Then he looks around and yells for Dawn. This is where I agree a little bit with David Fury because he also said, uh, how does Dawn know where to find Buffy? Like, where is she going? And in this moment, yeah, where, where is Dawn running off to? The whole gang is fighting with Buffy, but she is the one who is defeating the demons. She breaks the last one's neck and Xander says she's Buffy. She's herself again. But when he steps toward her, she backs away, licks the blood off her hand. She's breathing hard and she runs past them and away. Xander says she just needs some time. The important thing is she's back. And this is another subversion of 
where we think our friends are because behind him, Razor's eyes open. Obviously, Buffy and the gang are not going to get some time to process. This is also a great example of if you are struggling to get from one major plot turn to another or you're not sure what should happen, just think about what is the next worst thing that could happen. And here, Buffy has run off. Well, first, it's Buffy runs off. They finally think she's kind of herself. She's fighting. She runs off. They think, okay, we'll give her some time, we'll follow her, and then the most dangerous foe, in fact, has not been defeated. Razor snaps the blades out of his fingers again and asks, what kind of slayer is it that runs out just when her friends need her and attacks? In another part of the alley, another demon attacks Buffy from behind. She fights it off, flings it away, and it gets impaled on a pipe or a board. Buffy looks up and sees the tower from the gift a little ways away on the horizon. It's looking fairly creepy, mostly dark, a few tiny lights here and there, and she takes off running towards it. The friends all beat on Razor with their bats. Eventually he gets free. Willow does a spell to blind him briefly and we cut back to Dawn who comes upon this staked demon in the alley. She looks up and sees the tower and heads that way too. Now this part I buy that Dawn sees that staked demon and believes it was Buffy and that she looks up at that tower and intuits that that is where Buffy would go. Back in the alley, Anya hits Razor with a bat. He throws her aside. Willow uses another spell to save Tara, but Razor grabs Willow by the throat so she can't speak and he says he'll choke the life out of her. But Tara swings an axe and embeds it in his back and he falls, finally dead, and Tara says, nobody messes with my girl. Xander says, Tara, nice axing. And Tara says, oh, my first. And Willow says, Buffy. We're moving toward the climax. That's where the opposing forces clash and have their final resolution. In this climax, Willow, who is the protagonist, is not there. Normally it's protagonist versus antagonist, but instead Dawn steps into that role. Given that Willow is not here for the climax, there is a question, is she still the protagonist in this second part? This also makes me wonder about how different, when it was two different episodes, might there have been some changes so that perhaps Buffy could have been seen as the protagonist of part two, or maybe even Dawn Clearly, both Buffy and Dawn have strong subplots. Dawn to figure out how to handle this demon attack with Buffy gone. And then to find Buffy, Buffy's is to figure out what's going on as she crawls out of her grave. That will resolve in the climax. I do think Willow is the protagonist of the double episode for the reasons I talked about last time. Even though we're not in her viewpoint the most often, I don't think there's anyone that we get the most time in the viewpoint. It shifts around quite a bit. But still, Willow is the one pursuing an active goal through the entire double episode. In the first episode, she was the only one. She was determined about this spell. And though that changes, Willow is the one who continues to drive things forward. Her goal becomes to somehow get everyone safely through the night and deal with these demons. She's the one who follows Tara's Tinkerbell light, not Xander. And she's the one in the magic shop who says, we have to keep going. We have to go out there even though Buffy's gone, and she is doing magic despite her exhaustion, the others are fighting as well. But Willow keeps going, and she's the one who recognizes Buffy. Is Buffy not the bot? And who keeps insisting Buffy is okay. She's active throughout where Dawn and Buffy are both reacting. Even Buffy, she, she is reacting to waking up in the grave. And finally, in terms of who has the most at stake, that does shift around a bit here. You could argue Buffy has the most at stake because she could be sent back to the grave. But it's 
unclear. Buffy doesn't even know what's going on. We don't know what Buffy wants. Willow is still the one with the most identifiable active goal. First getting Buffy back, then dealing with not getting Buffy back, and then making sure Buffy is okay. All of this raises the question of who is the antagonist. I did not talk about that last time. The antagonist has one job, which is to push against or thwart the protagonist. So despite that Buffy is dead in the whole first half of the story, it is Buffy because Buffy dead is pushing back against Willow in the sense that Tara tells us it's against all laws of nature and man to bring Buffy back. Buffy dead is in her natural state where she will stay and Willow has to do all this work to try to get her out. And then when Buffy is brought back and climbs out of the grave, she is still resisting Willow. Unlike the Buffy bot, she doesn't run to find Willow. She doesn't seem to be trying to find her friends. Perhaps she doesn't even understand that they're still in this universe because she doesn't know where she is. But when she does see her friends, she runs away. And everything almost that she does other than fighting pushes back against Willow's desperate need to believe that Buffy is not just back but is all right. This is what I mean by Dawn stepping in as the protagonist because now Dawn in the climax will be the one who expresses the Buffy stay here, live, stay with us, be okay. This all could be Willow but it has so much more emotional power when it is dawn. At 79 minutes 36 seconds, Buffy stands on the edge of that plank that sticks out of the tower and flashes back to the portal and swan diving into that crackling energy. And now Buffy looks calmer than we've seen her in the entire double episode. Then she squeezes her eyes shut, remembering, and from behind her, Dawn says, Buffy, no, which I'm pretty sure is the same line from The Gift and real Buffy echoes that line she said Donnie I have to but then she turns and sees Dawn now and Dawn says is it you I mean really Dawn inches toward Buffy but the whole tower suddenly creaks and sways Buffy ignores that and turns around again looking at that spot where she jumped while Dawn pleads with Buffy to walk to her reminds Buffy that Dawn is her sister that they were up there together and then Buffy went away and she tells Buffy she doesn't want to do that again and Dawn says and please just stay still and then the tower lurches and and squeals again and Dawn goes on or move but toward me because quote the tower was built by crazy people and I don't think it's holding up very well end quote Buffy still doesn't answer Dawn begs her to say something and Dawn and Buffy in her first line of season six says is this hell dawn is shocked she tells her no quote you're here with me end quote and says whatever happened to buffy it's over she's home the tower is continuing to fall apart pieces are falling off dawn says they have to get down but Buffy is still staring at the ground below and says she remembers how shiny and clear everything was but now Dawn cuts her off and says Buffy please listen to me you told me I had to be strong and I've tried but it's been so hard without you I'm sorry and Dawn promises she'll do better if Buffy will just stay with her and it's unclear if Buffy is taking any of this in she seems focused on the past her eyes are mostly shut and Dawn says please I need you to live live for and then she screams as large pieces of the tower are falling off and she screams Buffy's name and this finally breaks Buffy out of her reverie she says Dawn's name, runs to her, grabs Dawn, grabs onto this steel cable that's on a pulley. I've never been quite sure. It kind of seems like it might have been better just to try to run down that tower before it fell apart. But she grabs the cable and they hang on and then the pulley comes loose. They go plummeting down. The pulley grabs the wire 
cable again briefly. They stop, but it drops again. They hit the ground. It seems that they're safe, that Buffy absorbs the fall, but she looks up and sees a giant girder about to crash down on both of them, rolls them out of the way at the very last second, and the whole tower collapses. This is that bigger ending David Fury mentioned. He said in the original version, when episode two was its own episode, the tower wasn't going to collapse. Dawn was going to fall and Buffy would catch her. He also commented on that scene between the two of them on the tower as his homage to the gift. And he said he feared with Dawn uh, so upset and pleading with Buffy, he feared it fell into that criticism of Dawn being too whiny. But she's a young girl alone in the world and he wanted to honor that and how she felt while not undermining the female empowerment theme of the series. I think this is the right note for Dawn here because she is desperately lonely. This has been terribly hard. And of course, she would be distraught that her sister is back, but seems like she's about to dive off this plank and potentially be dead again. We're now in the falling action. Very short, this is the part of a story where the writers tie up loose ends, resolve any subplots. Here, Buffy and Dawn crouched together in the wreckage. Dawn strokes Buffy's cheek and says, you're really here. Dawn smiles. She looks so happy, but Buffy looks stunned, though she doesn't back away or run away the way she did from her friends. Dawn hugs Buffy, holds her. They're very close, so they don't see each other's faces. Dawn, looking happy, says, you're alive and you're home. Buffy's face is completely blank when we see it. If anything, she may be a bit disturbed as Dawn cries and says again, you're home. There were so many more things in the DVD commentary. I will cover the ones that deal more with foreshadowing in the foreshadowing section in a moment, and I hope you'll stick around for that. It does include spoilers. If you enjoyed the discussion of story structure and found it helpful and want to try it for your own writing, you can email me to get one of those download codes for the Spotify version of my book on story structure, or you can download free story structure worksheets at writingasasecondcareer.com slash worksheets or both. The worksheets uh, go well with the book, so feel free to do both those things. If you're not sticking around for spoilers, thank you so much for listening, or even if you are sticking around, thank you for listening. Come back in two weeks for the next episode, season Season 6, Episode 3, Afterlife, where Buffy's friends fear she brought back a demon with her from hell. And we're back for foreshadowing and spoilers. On the DVD, the writers said they knew already that Xander would be the one to pull Willow back in the climax of the season and that he would save the world. So that's why he is the one who more than once brings up with her about the snake coming out of her mouth and the fact that she hid things about the spell. Also, Marty Noxon said about that look on Buffy's face when Dawn holds her at the end and Buffy looks so blank, she said, a harbinger of the chilling non-emotion to come in season six. Of course, there is also the gun. David Fury commented on putting that in on purpose and it foreshadows that Tara will be killed when Warren shoots her with a gun. There's lots of Tara and Willow foreshadowing here. Tara telling Willow the spell maybe wouldn't have worked or maybe it wasn't supposed to. And Willow taking that as you're saying, it's my fault, continues a difference between them about magic that we did see hinted at last season. Tara is much more concerned with consequences. She thinks ahead maybe not ahead but she thinks more about the reasons why there are rules the dangers of interfering with the natural order willow is more about but i can do this i'm learning this this is exciting and if i can do it 
why shouldn't I do it? And of course, we're going to see that throughout season six, and it will drive a wedge or start that wedge between them, which then becomes deeper and deeper as Willow becomes more and more enamored with the power of being able to do things, and it becomes harder for these two to understand each other. This rape threat in the beginning, neither writer commented on it. I I would have loved to hear their thoughts on it. Does foreshadow that Spike will sexually assault Buffy. I will talk more about that then, but that also goes to uh, my feelings about lack of metaphor. I have my questions about Spike because as Marty Noxon commented here, many viewers, and I am one of them, don't quite understand this idea that Spike is at heart the same evil he was before. I feel like he has progressed and has grown, but the writers as a whole clearly wanted to remind us throughout the season and make clear that Spike without a soul is still evil. And this is a foreshadowing of Spike's attack. Razor asking what kind of a slayer runs out just when her friends need her. I never noticed this before, but that too foreshadows a major season conflict. Two of them really. One is internal for Buffy. In these uh, first episodes of season six, she tries so hard to be there for her friends, but she's so depressed. She can't. She's holding so much back from them. And as much as she's struggling is as much as they feel she is so distant and she runs away from them in this episode physically and she will run away from them emotionally almost for for the entire season of course so much foreshadowing when Buffy says is this hell and Dawn responds no you're here with me again a Buffy internal conflict we can completely see why she feels this is hell she had to claw her way out of a coffin dirt came down on her she gets out and there's fire everywhere and the guy is shooting at her and it's loud she can't see well Uh, she sees herself uh, pulled apart because we don't know if she really even recognizes that that's the bot ripped apart she's threatened with rape her friends are threatened with rape she's uh, has a huge battle Everything feels like hell and really nothing is recognizable other than her friends and Dawn from the Sunnydale she knew. This doesn't look anything like Sunnydale. And then you get the Dawn-Buffy conflict because Dawn is saying, you're here, you're home, you're with me. And it is so hard for her to understand why Buffy doesn't want to stay there. And she will say later in uh, the episode, dead things, you don't want to be here you don't want to be with me. This is a theme of Dawn throughout. And that is where the whiny thing comes in because I so want to have sympathy for Dawn. She's so isolated and lonely. And yet, I do have some issues with how how perhaps how she's directed to act, but it is a genuine conflict here where simply the characters talking isn't going to resolve it because at heart, Dawn feels abandoned and it is just too hard for her to grasp that Buffy's depression and where she's at emotionally makes it almost impossible for her to be there for Dawn. I shouldn't say it's probably hard. She can grasp it intellectually, but how it feels to her is she feels abandoned. And I think that is very real and it is a very difficult conflict to resolve. Marty and David both said that Joss said that when they brought Buffy back, they had to earn it. There would be no quick fixes. And he knew from the beginning that she would come back from a better place, not the hell like Angel was in, not what Willow feared. They all knew from a from the start that a good part of season six, Buffy would hate her life. So this is the, it is not easy to bring Buffy back. Marty's comment about she feared the spell itself was too simple. I I don't think it was, but I, I get the concern. But then clearly emotionally, they made it very difficult. I might argue a little too difficult. We'll talk about that as we go into the season. Finally, a last comment from Marty Noxon when that Buffy bot was torn apart. Marty had talked about how Sarah Michelle Geller liked playing the Buffy bot because she got to be light and fun in a way that Buffy rarely was anymore. And 
Marty said when the bot was torn apart, uh, the bot was doomed, as with anything light and fun in the series during season six. I don't like to end on a gloomy note, but season six is, for much of it, a gloomy season, so there we are. Thank you again for listening, and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. Come back in two weeks for Afterlife, Season 6, Episode 3, where Buffy's friends fear she came back not quite right and that she brought something else with her. You can find back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Story or on my YouTube channel. And you can find the book editions of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Books. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2021. All rights reserved.